0: Yeah, you know, when I when I try to boil it down to its simplest, kind of most consumable form and, and strip out all the engineering and science, I say it's dress clothes that feel like gym clothes, and our goal is to enable other people to do their life's work.
1: Hello, and welcome back to South Asian Stories, where we hear from South Asians around the world and uncover their identities, successes, failures, and most importantly, stories. I'm your host, Samir Desai. In this episode, I chat with Aman Advani. Aman is the co-founder and CEO of Ministry of Supply, a clothing brand inventing a new category, performance professional or performance dress clothes. The company was founded in 2012 with a mission to make dress clothes feel like gym clothes by incorporating fundamental engineering and performance principles into dress clothing staples. So ultimately, you can build a wardrobe that both looks good and feels comfortable. So think Nike meeting Brooks Brothers. Prior to co-founding Ministry of Supply, Amon spent four years in management and nonprofit consulting with Deloitte and TechnoServe. He holds a BSIE from Georgia Tech and half an MBA for MIT Sloan School of Management. Aman was also a member of Forbes 30 under 30 and BBJ's 40 under 40 list and has been featured as the cover of both ASB and Boston Magazine. So in this conversation, we discuss how Aman started Ministry of Supply and how he scaled the company to great heights. The story of how Aman figured out what products to launch next through his quantified empathy process, and he gives us a teaser that denim is coming, as well as Ministry Supplies' mission of dress clothes that feel like gym clothes and how they are focusing on sustainability in the future. So if you're into tech and clothing, this interview will absolutely fascinate you. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Aman Advani. Aman, welcome to South Asian Stories. We are so excited to have you, and uh, it's and I was as we were talking earlier. You've been someone that I've been following for a long time. Your brand, Ministry Supply, I've been following for many, many uh, years. And because I said I, I'm a big Instagram follower, but we're so excited to have you on the show
0: yeah I'm so glad to be here thanks for having me
1: yeah and so uh, I know there's a lot to talk about, and we'll get into it, but i want to take it way back and then and i want to understand a little bit about your childhood. Can you tell us and the tell the audience of how you grew up and um what was your what what was your childhood like?
0: yeah that sounds great i think it's it's a fun place to start and i think an unusual one that I appreciate because uh I think my childhood, without a doubt, has quite an effect on, on what I'm doing today and the choices I've made. So I grew up in Georgia, um, which is a, kind of a, a, a far cry from where I am right now, up in, in New England and Boston, where we started our company. Um, grew up in Georgia, uh, first generation, uh, born in the U.S., but both parents were born in, in India. And uh, so I grew up very much you know, in the suburbs of Atlanta, Uh Attending uh, school in a very different world than both my parents attended, but but got the chance to go back and visit, really uh, every year, every other year, and, and see their hometowns and, and spend the summers out there. So got a good mix of uh, of cultures in that way growing up, and then uh, and then only moved to Boston actually when I was twenty six, and that was the first time I really left Georgia in any long term way.
1: And what was your family like? As you said, you know, you're your first generation Indian American was it pretty South Asian? Like, what? How would you describe your identity growing up?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think it's, it's uh, I'd say, kind of mixed in the sense that I think I, uh, probably like many people who are, are first generation, you are constantly torn between, you know, two identities, right? And which I think is, is somewhat national. I suspect many of your listeners can relate with that. Um, but kind of very traditional Indian household in the sense that we ate Indian food. Um, you know, you'd hear a mix of languages at the dinner table. Um, you know, certainly came from from a value set that my parents had kind of grown up with that they, they kind of put onto us. Um but then, of course, spending the majority of the day in in school or with friends who who weren't often. I mean, some some were, some were not Indian. Right? It was a pretty a good 50-50 mix in there. Um, so, kind of this constant tale of two cultures that that uh that, that became natural, but but in hindsight was probably uh a little bit more overwhelming than I. I gave it credit for
1: yeah i bet and then you know you, you you graduated and then i saw you went to georgia tech um go yellow jackets i have a lot of i have a good friend that went to georgia tech what was your experience like there
0: yeah that's, that's a great question i think there's a there's of course stereotypes on on indian parents and if they if they are if there are any truth to them i think my parents certainly fit into it where it was kind of a do you want to be an engineer a doctor uh uh, or you know, maybe a lawyer,
1: right? And uh, right. and
0: I picked an engineer, uh, and that's why I went to Georgia Tech. It was an in-state school, and and uh, and it was a good, it's a great school, and I love it. Um, and so, uh, but but did not necessarily driven to be an engineer by by natural passion, specifically for you know, industrial engineering, where I went uh, to school for, and 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 that was kind of became more obvious as I left and went to consulting to kind of explore more about what I really cared about.
1: Sure, and once you went to consulting, Aman, did you have that entrepreneurial itch yet, or was it slowly coming? Um, how did you? What? 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 What happened from there? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I
0: think if, if there's if there's one part of me that is very much an engineer, it's the the, the tinkering piece, right? It's yeah, the sure. uh, when you see a problem, you you want to go fix it, right? And so I think in consulting, I had this lifestyle that again i'm sure you've experienced at some point maybe a lot of your listeners have too but you know you get up every monday morning you get on a plane um you you get to a client site uh you know by by seven or eight o'clock you're heading to the hotel to check in you're changing your kind of gym or leisure clothes and going back down to the hotel lobby to keep working and uh and it's awful and you kind of really put your clothes to the test and and you can't wait to peel them off at the end of the day
1: sure
0: and so it it, and yeah and 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 Really, that's where the problem statement arose. Was kind of ironing and, and random irons that I would have to master at six a.m. in a hotel room, or dry cleaners that you were constantly kind of going and, and, and retrieving or, or dropping off, um, you know, wrinkles at four o'clock when you're doing a big client presentation, or just super stiff clothes, and all these problem statements were kind of saying like, this cannot be the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would actually go in, and do the tinkering at nights and on weekends, and I would cut up old. Running socks and sew the soles into my dress socks to create a more comfortable sock. Because I just needed those kind of six for a dollar gold toe socks. So, yeah.
1: But from Kohl's. That was pretty
0: much uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily an entrepreneurial itch to give you the short answer. It was um it was more of an itch to just not be so uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. And I find that like when entrepreneurs scratch their own itch, as you said, and you know, have a problem that they're dealing with and they like I said they gotta be a better way, you usually come up with a solution that a lot of other people are experiencing, right? So okay, you're making these socks at the middle of the night. Uh, you're, you're, uh, you know, deciding like there could be a better way. How did, was that the genesis of the business? Like what, how did the, how did you decide, okay, I want to make this into something bigger?
0: Yeah, it's really, it, 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 it may be as simple as that, right? I think it was exactly what you said is you find that other people have the same problem. So I'm kind of doing these prototypes, doing these samples, and building a bit of a business plan and, and starting to realize that someone else might care too. Uh, and then honestly, I think I got, I got lucky. I, I came to MIT in 2011 to go to business school and kind of complement the engineering background and just got totally lucky to stumble upon my my kind of now partner, Gihan, uh, who was doing the exact same thing. I mean, what are the odds at, at MIT that two people are exploring fashion in the same weird and unique way? Um, and I think that kind of serendipity is, is what turned it from cool idea with some legs to, to, you know, viable business.
1: How was your first meeting with Gihan? Like, can you tell us that story? Do you remember it?
0: Yeah. You know It's, it's funny. He and I uh, share so much in common and uh, and we both at the time actually had two partners. So there's four co-founders at the time. Um, Last and they left, uh, you know, earlier on, of course, in the journey. Um, and, and Gihan and I had both had these prototypes. So our, our MIT entrepreneurship center said, you guys should sit down together and uh, and I think yeah, and I have a lot in common. Both both kind of same same kind of childhood story. They're both first generation, you know, of, of South Asian parents. And um, and he and I both had these kind of hacked prototypes. I mean, really, what are the odds? But that meeting was really just it was all up, right? There it, it was, it was no question of whether or not we would partner. I think it was kind of obvious within a few minutes that this was not going to be a, an assessing your competition rather than meet your new partner.
1: Sure, sure. Like let's let's band together on this. We can make it even bigger. Um, it was really a no-brainer. Yeah. So, how did you guys go from there? Did you said, okay, this seems like a really cool space that we're both interested in. We both have hacked together prototypes. Did you create something new together, or did you build on an existing idea?
0: You know, at that point, we 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 felt pretty confident in in this, right? I think our premise has always been form and function, you know, coexisting in clothing, right? um and and that's 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 really what it came down to and, it, and that's really what it still is very much today is this is same why that you know why do we exist it's it's to go let people kind of go achieve their goals without having to think about clothing right and that that kind of true why statement hasn't changed since that first meeting or since those early prototypes um nothing has changed
1: so what what happened then so I, I know you guys had a very very successful kickstarter campaign can you talk us through that yeah, it's funny. I think
0: when we're we're able to look back on it now, I can I can uh, certainly celebrate it more openly, but also tell you that the, the, the downsides. Right. So
1: sure.
0: Um, the first thing I like to share is that that wasn't actually our launch. I mean, we we attempted many many times unsuccessfully prior to that. Oh, really? To launch, you know, we would kind of put do trunk shows and get people's feedback, and I wouldn't say unsuccessfully so much as just not in a loud way. We were going to you know small gatherings and parties and events, trying to sell stuff in person before you know we had a really functioning website, and that was a lot of that was was kind of our testing mindset, our iterative design process, really saying let's put stuff on market, see what people say, and change it. Right. Um, but Kickstarter in 2012 was the first time that. We- we really put it up on a big stage, and and uh, and it went well, right? I mean, we really got to see what people thought about what we were doing, and and hear their feedback, and and build something specifically for that audience. But um, the other quick, quiet fact about that was that it, it was not profitable. Um, which was our first harsh lesson in economics,
1: right? Right. So you getting? Uh, let's walk us through that that experience. You um, you put it on Kickstarter. You see a huge uptick in people having interest it, in and you know funding the program. What was going through your head? You were like, "Oh my god!" Like, okay, we're onto something, but this may not make money. Or did you find that out later?
0: Yeah. There, uh, well, there's a few a few kind of lessons baked in there, and I think you're hitting on a lot of them. But um, you know, first and foremost, I always like to warn people that on Kickstarter then, and I and I believe the same is still true now. There's nothing really organic about it. Right? It is not a if you build it, they will come. Kind of a website. <laughs> uh, we love Kickstarter. They've been incredibly supportive and, and generous with with their advice to us. But um, yeah, there certainly is a number of organic, you know, eyes you get. Um, but that success comes through your you know products excellence its connection to the, to the market and your ability to bring the two to the same place. Right. So just like any other, um, any other kind of case study in marketing. Um, but, it, but certainly when it came to, uh, you know, understanding or, or learning you know, the value of economics, uh, you, 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 know, you, totally nailed it. It was a, a loud and quick lesson in how to manage money and make sure that we were actually creating value. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at a, at a unit level, we made money, but uh, at an execution level, we did not meeting all of the fixed costs um our, sure. Overrode the uh, the variable gains.
1: Was it tough to, uh, like, what was the item that you put on Kickstarter? Was it a shirt or was it something else?
0: Yeah, it was it was our flagship dress shirt, which, you know, now about seven generations later, it still exists. Wow. It looks and feels very different than it did then in, in a good way. Um, but it was the Apollo dress shirt, which is still very much on our website today. And it's still probably, it depends on month, kind of our, our first or second top seller on, on the site. So,
1: Seven it is certainly a, um,
0: yeah, I don't think it's going to go anywhere anytime soon. We just got a sample of a, a version of it that's using heavily recycled content um, that's even softer. And so we're kind of like, okay, why would we pull
1: this thing? It's, yeah. it's, it's doing quite well. It's like if your, your flagship product. That's so cool. Um, yeah. Aman, I, I want to talk because uh, I'm in marketing, so mar- the marketing part is very, very interesting to me. Um, how did you come up with the name, Ministry of Supply?
0: It's such a good story. I'm, I'm so glad you asked. I, I, I always forget to kind of uh, encourage this question to come up, but but I'm glad you did. Um, it is, uh, if you or any of your listeners are a, uh, a fan of, of the James Bond films, Q, um, who's a character in, in each of those films, is in charge of making sure, uh, you know, in Q's labs, Q makes sure that Bond looks great but is prepared for anything, right, whether it's kind of the special gadgetry or, or outfits, right, that Bond's perfectly prepared to go to a gala, and, uh, and, you know, and fight a bad guy. Um, and, and just like that, we think of ourselves as Q, Q um, you know, who we call the ultimate empathetic inventor. We think of ourselves as Q attempting to, to do that exact thing, make sure that you, our customer bond, looks great, but is ready for absolutely anything. Um, the connection there is that that Q's cover in real life, that the real life Q, operated under the cover of the British Ministry of Supply um and so in that way uh, we as as q's labs would do the same
1: that is so cool so basically when you put on an apollo dress shirt you you can say you're bond correct <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's exactly right i think that's legally true
1: <laughs> that's awesome and one of the things that i had read that i thought was super interesting amon is what you call you call the quantified empathy process using the scientific method to uncover problems in apparel design, so it's almost like taking an industry that requires so much on the art side, which is fashion and, and clothing, and applying a scientific bend to it. Can you tell us more about that?
0: Yeah, you know, honestly, it's, coming at this, my partner Geon is is an engineer, as a, as am I, although I'd say. He- he's without a doubt the smarter the two of us as as a couple of engineers coming together to attack a problem in, in such an emotional level actually we had to find a bridge and that bridge was this quantified empathy toolkit it was the idea of taking what really drives kind of the emotion and the excitement around product that we both very much have every day we're both product junkies um and and quantifying it so we could turn it into actions and do something with it and so this toolkit, this way of really codifying the collection and usage of feedback or, or predictive analytics, um, it, 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 as it pertains specifically to fashion in our cut-on fashion, has really been our secret sauce. I and mean, we, we've long said none of the patents or any of the technology we implement is, is nearly as valuable as the, as the quantified empathy toolkit we've developed.
1: So can you talk, walk us through like a situation where you saw a problem that you guys addressed and you ha- you came up with a clothing item that uh, like solved that. Like let's, let's talk about something other than a shirt. What's something that, sure. that, you, that you came up with that you realized was an issue. And can you talk, uh, t- tell us that story.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's socks. I started with socks and it's an easy one to tell because everyone hates dress socks, right? For the most part, they're not something we look forward to wearing. I mean, they're, they're, they're uh, they, yeah, most kind of plain cotton, thin dress socks, but at the end of the day, they're, drenched and kind of um you're kind of walking around in puddles they they don't breathe well they're not comfortable they smell terrible if you take your shoes off on the plane let's say right um you know they they there's no padding on the soles so you're kind of walking around and whatever your shoes are providing um there there are problem statements left and right and again this quantified empathy toolkit is meant to really unearth those both in terms of what's on the market but also in terms of our attempts to solve it the quantified empathy toolkit applies to both
1: yeah
0: um uh, we have this fear problem statement, right? They don't smell great. Uh, they're not super comfortable on your soles uh, and they don't handle moisture well. And so then what we do is as engineers, we go back and take that prompt and, and fix it, fix all of that and figure out what we can do to actually provide a better sock.
1: And let me ask you this, Aman, you, you've seen a problem statement on multiple things. You create a product. Is there a story or an example of you saw the problem, but you misjudged it or you created the wrong product for what the actual issue was?
0: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. There's there's probably more stories than uh, than, than than I could probably uh, fit into this podcast. Um, I mean, I'd say there's twice as many of those stories as there are ones that worked. Um, fortunately, the process is built to cut those off before we've overinvested. So we'll often release very small batches, often for free to insiders, uh, whether they be friends, family or kind of our testers. Um, to make sure that we've hit the mark right to double check before we go all out. And, uh, you know, there's examples left and right. I mean, we, we've been, we've been trying denim for years. Only now do we feel like we actually understand denim and with our next launch, we are just insanely confident and proud of what we've built, but we fall started twice with them. We've produced batches of about 40 pieces to make sure that we had done what we, we intended to do. Uh, and in both cases, uh, you know, it got feedback that, that there was improvement to make. And so we pulled back and do it again. But we tend to keep product on market for, uh, you know, a very long time, um, year after year, so that we can make those kind of constant uh, opportunities, seizing moments of, hey, we can make this product even better.
1: Yeah. And I love what you said about, or what you're saying about persistence, right? You had two false starts and you know what? You said this is an idea that we can crack the code on, but we just have to keep with it. We just have to attack it from a different angle. So I'm curious, like for someone or, or probably all the listeners, they've all worn jeans. Like what's so hard about it?
0: Oh my goodness. Jeans are jeans are a fun example because there are more nuances than you can possibly imagine, right? Yeah. In general, and this is true of jeans, but also in, 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 in more... And there are many more dimensions than people get it credit for, right? As an engineer, you're always looking at how to measure something and how to kind of ensure that it's exactly right. But there are dimensions that range all the way, of course, from stuff like fit or functionality, but also, also through storytelling, right? Does the story that you're telling match the value of the product and does it match it on kind of a first impression basis? Um, so, jeans, just like any other kind of wearable product, have you know dozens, if not hundreds, of dimensions that can be adjusted to kind of find the perfect pair. It, it isn't as as a binary as just kind of fits or doesn't. Right, there are many, many, many nuances to that.
1: Got it, got it. So let's go back to um, you know the beginning of, of, of you know the, the creation of the company. So you and Gihan are like, okay, we got our we got our shirt. You know, we we got our products. Like, how did you guys actually build the business or build a company?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, well, it, it is a work in progress. I would say that it is not something that we have checked off the list, right? In the sense that it is constantly what we're trying to do is build, build, build. Right? We are by no means in coast mode. Or have any plans to be in anytime soon so um you know i think i think the easiest way to answer that is probably applying this iterative mindset this kind of again scientific method is problem statement you know solution test and repeat um and applying that to every part of our business right not just the product but everybody is getting the same treatment of of test and repeat test and repeat right so from products all the way up through uh, you know, marketing channels are all the way up through how we approach retail and stores, how we hire, how we find and, and solicit our investors and, and secure good ones and avoid bad ones. Right. Every single piece of that is a test and repeat. Um, and it's still going.
1: Yeah. And t- t- tell us about that process, because we've had a few people or a few entrepreneurs that I've heard from that say, like, you know, building the business is one thing, raising a money, raising money is a second part of the the job. Can you talk us through what that was like? what that is like yeah
0: it, it, it is and was right we're um we you know we're, we're we're constantly making sure that we have the right kind of capital strategy because none of this matters we're in a capital intense business so sure um you know we're, we're quite careful and conscious to make sure that we are uh are are, are are partnering with the right people at the right time right you also don't want to overdo it um but being thoughtful about getting the right investors right is is not as easy as just um you know, putting on a circular and hoping the right person comes up, you, you've you got to have your own criteria and kind of build out that strategy as well.
1: So uh, did you, do you guys have outside investment and how, any stories you can tell of like what your first pitch was like and what you learned from it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We have quite a bit of outside, quite a bit of outside investment, although I will say that, um, you know, we're careful to make sure that our, our revenue stream uh, always exceeds our, our outside investment on a kind of dollar for dollar basis, right? We've earned more in revenue um, than, than we have raised. Right. And I think that's just making sure that you're disciplined to say that a good business needs that capital to certainly get off the ground and fund some of those early losses. But long-term profitability is, is really just, there's nothing better. Mm -hmm. Um, but in terms of learnings, quite a few, right. I think in terms of, of managing capital properly and ensuring that you're not relying upon your next check so much as you are utilizing your first one, Um, and then and then ensuring that you're using the money for the right things, right So not just for uh, funding growth through you know bad customer acquisition costs but rather building infrastructure through let's say good capex usage. Um, you know the two of those are very, very different ways to scale and I think uh, the former has led to a, a deep graveyard of direct consumer brands and the latter, um, more thoughtful, long-term growth—you know, building infrastructure—I think is 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 um is proving to be a lot more successful, and has in the past proven to be a lot more successful.
1: Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um, one thing I I, I want to touch on is it sounds like you have all the the business capabilities and like all the uh the, the business down cold, but tell me about the human side. Tell me about the the struggles or, you know, working with people and, you know, being, leading this company. Can you talk, of us, talk to us about those challenges and what you had to do of scaling the company from a human side?
0: Yeah. I mean, it, one of the things we found, and, and I, I would kind of make a more broad point here about when we started this business, it was all about category creation, right? So can we create a, a new category of clothing called performance professional, right? Form and function, left brain, right brain. Uh, emotional and rational right that that bringing these two together is a tale as old as time but we wanted to apply it to fashion and so it it would categorically have been new and it's still very much as novel today even though it's it's less new uh it's starting to become a bit ubiquitous in in its original you know manifestation so what we found is that that creating a new category wasn't as simple as just creating a new product it it was also creating uh, an entire ecosystem, right? It meant creating new investors that had never invested in the space. It meant creating a new manufacturers that didn't know how to make, uh, you know, both uh, super stretchy clothes but also really sharp and tailored clothes. Right, the two of those had never coexisted. And as it pertains to your question, in terms of team, members, category B, we were creating a category, right? So if you think about, you wouldn't just hire from traditional fashion brands or traditional athletic brands because in either case, you're short on the other. Um, And so certainly from just a sheer performance standpoint, our earliest challenge was making sure that we were finding the right balance of voices in the room to let both performance and professional breeze and grow as they should.
1: Yeah. And, and tell tell us about like, um, you know, your first hire, what was that like for you? Have you ever hired someone before?
0: Yeah. Well, I fortunately came from a background that, that, um, that we very much enjoyed the opportunity to manage folks, although not necessarily directly hire. I was at a big consulting firm, so I did participate in the interview process, but not necessarily the hiring process. Sure. Um, you know, I think earlier on, um, we, we we were prioritizing performance over anything, right? Could they do the job, right? With the roadmap, it was thoughtful. It was built out with the help of advisors, investors, mentors, partners. Um, and I don't necessarily think our roadmap was wrong, but early on, I think we way overvalued performance and way undervalued culture, right? We knew we wanted the culture to work and and, and be as, as it is today. And we thought we could get there just kind of um, I wouldn't say by luck, but, but, but naturally just kind of assuming that everybody could, could fit into that culture. Yeah. Uh, And, and since then over the years, we've switched it dramatically to where I think the vast majority of our interview process is focused on culture. And we do just enough from a performance standpoint to make sure that you can do the job, right. Uh, Because we found that, that putting the right person into the system is far more fruitful than just the right person in in a vacuum
1: right because uh what i found too is like you can teach a lot of people stuff and if they have the base level of raw horsepower intellectual horsepower but the culture fit is so much more important because if they don't get along well with the rest of the team and you know you know get good feedback with everyone else then they, they can be a drain on the company and drain on um you know yourself especially when you're trying to build something as big as this 100%
0: 100% agree i think you're you're totally spot on it it drains a great word right and unfortunately we've largely avoided that but but have certainly seen it quite a bit with peers and and, uh, and other partners that that it can can be more damaging than any sort of performance woe
1: so how many employees do you guys have right now
0: we are at about 50 in total
1: okay do do you, do you ever think about yourself and say and you step back and like wow i have a 50 person company that i manage like building a product that i built in the evening times, like years ago, is that sometimes crazy to you?
0: No, absolutely. I think, and and it's been crazy since day one, and I think it'll hopefully still be crazy five years from now. I think, you know, I think what we are most excited about, more than kind of employee counts is just, you know, that that our product is out there in the world, making people do better, right? Do what they intended to do. And I think that's where we take tremendous pride is when we hear these constant, amazing customer stories come in that are just, um, blow us away uh excite us beyond belief at, at what people are able to do with the help of what we're doing right it kind of justifies our life's work
1: sure can you share some of those customer stories that really spoke to you
0: oh we had a guy last week come in um it, this is just the first that came to mind because it was just a few days ago he came into the store um and, and a bunch of us actually happened to be in there we were we were having a little bit of a gathering and he came and we said, actually, we're not open yet, but we'll be open soon. We're just kind of having a little bit of a team gathering here in the, our our Boston store, which is you know, one of our flagships, as it's close to the office. Um, and he said, hey, just quick interruption. I'd like to tell you a story. I, I, you know, had uh, I was in the military for a long time, and I had uh, when I came back, had surgery, and one of my lungs during that surgery was unintentionally punctured. And uh, and and though I can't speak to how. Uh, this works medically. Uh, he's, the outcome of it was he was left in a position where his resting heart rate was extremely high, unnaturally high, and it left him kind of constantly overheating. And he said that at this point, his closet is entirely ministry of supply, and he feels like we have saved him from all sorts of heartache, embarrassment, discomfort, and pain, wow. um, and, and expressed this incredible level of gratitude. It was almost just too perfect that this guy walked in, and uh, and now you know soon we'll become a friend of the company as we invited him to come to – hq sees a new product coming down the pipeline and 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 celebrate him um but what a special story that we could have that impact on even one person we'd be be grateful
1: that is like that probably so immensely gratifying to you because you're like
0: yeah that's obviously a bit of an extreme example compared to the average uh you know um you know, commuter who's probably biking into work on our, in our stuff, or the person right. who's just sitting at their desk more comfortably, um, which is maybe more me, right? But it was a fun one nonetheless.
1: Yeah, for if you save someone's life, like, well, you know, metaphorically, that's a that's a big deal. That's a big responsibility.
0: Um, yeah, it was huge. It was just a yeah, a big big win.
1: <laughs> I want to go back to your point Amon, about culture. You said that culture was something that you wanted to build, but you know, you you valued performance of over culture early on, but then that switched. What is the culture you're trying to drive? Can you describe it for us?
0: Yeah. You know, we have this kind of long set of of values that we tend to share internally. We Not only share, but kind of live and discuss constantly. But I think they'd probably bore you and your viewers if I went through all six right now in the sense that they're all nuanced to our culture. But the number one and two things I say during interviews when people ask that question uh, is is kind and driven. Uh, And that's kind of, I think, a pretty good way to describe the audience here. In the offices, as I look out at the team, it's it's a group of people that's immensely kind and, and that manifests as, as kind of funny, lighthearted, warm, uh, enthusiastic, energetic, um, and that leads right into Driven, which is people that are just really anxious to build this mission, right? We're all collectively in, right? There is no kind of uh, clocking out feeling or, or kind of not my job, I'm not doing that. It's kind of a team that's just really, really driven to do what we're doing. So, um, yeah, you know, you'll see the passion and purpose come through without a doubt.
1: I love that. Kind and driven. That's so cool. Um, I want to go back to a little bit from of our beginning conversation about identity you know a lot of people listening and south Asians who um who grew up here struggle sometimes with you know when they're trying to figure out what they want to do and they have a passion or there's something that's interesting to them but they're scared of risk or scared of taking that step because in our community we're we're told to take the safe option the profitable option the the conservative option how is that conversation with your parents or your family members like, Hey guys, this is something I'm into and I'm going all in on.
0: Yeah. It's, it's still a conversation. Uh, <laughs> they, they, uh, the, the, the fun fact that I, that I happened to leave out in there was that I did not finish uh, my MBA. I left after a year. And so I, I do not hold uh, any degree from M- MIT, which is uh, much to their dismay, right? You can imagine they say, I still get questions all the time. We'll get a, you know, a, a great award or something that i excited to share, a new store opening up. And they'll say, oh, that's great. By the way, when do you plan on going back to finish that MIT degree up? So right. Say, I wouldn't say it's like The conversation's not over yet.
1: Yeah. They're going to keep asking you about that till you're like 70, right? When are you going to go back? to so. and- they're, they're <laughs> not going anywhere. That's funny. <laughs> um and what do you tell your friends and, and family, like, hey, this is the company and this is what it stands for, if you had to describe it in two sentences?
0: Yeah, you know, when I, when I try to boil it down to its simplest, kind of most consumable form and, and strip out all the engineering and science. I say it's dress clothes that feel like gym clothes, and our goal is to enable other people to do their life's work.
1: That's really cool. Dress clothes that fit like gym clothes or feel like gym clothes. Um. Cool. I, I I want to talk to talk to you also on about sacrifice because you know with with any one of these people that we talk to on South Asian stories sacrifice is a big part of it because there's so many things that the world is pushing on you or you're trying to get out of it that you have to you know contend with. So, can you talk about sacrifices that you personally made to get to where you are today?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, 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 one of these things where I'm, I'm I'm careful here to also put this answer in perspective. To say, in the scheme of things, having even some light sense of of kind of what's going on in the world and 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 the plight that many face, I think my sacrifices would be almost uh, it, it, it embarrassing to put up side by side against um many other sacrifices out there so in, in that way i'd say um you know certainly have have, have taken a, a less traditional path that is riddled with risk um in, instead of a more stable one more or even more fruitful in the short term at least that i could have taken and just kind of taking down the consulting path for instance um so in that way i'd, I'd almost just
1: and the things the sacrifices i've made
0: have been negligible
1: got it got it but w- can you talk about any low moments I- as part of building the company or particularly tough moments that you had to get through
0: yeah yeah no absolutely i, I didn't mean to, to kind of uh, dodge the question by means but no i think there there have been many right i think it wouldn't surprise you to know that you know when you for instance when we launched the kickstarter we were two months late delivering the product we had sold 14 times more product than we anticipated in that first Kickstarter campaign. So as you can imagine, we were overwhelmed uh, and we didn't handle it particularly well. We we, we tried our best to be super transparent and, and kind of be one with our customer. But regardless, when you're two months late, you know, you're going to have a lot of angry people. And that was a really low moment. Um, sure. you know, sure. it, it, and We've had a couple of those. I mean, we, we kind of risked our brand identity in 2016 with a, a brand refresh that really just didn't work out. And. Uh, and again, another really low moment where you're kind of humbled by the fact that this is extremely difficult. Um, but the rewarding ones more than make up for it if you're really in for the mission.
1: So talk to you, talk to us about that brand refresh. What did you guys try to do, and what did you get incorrect?
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. I could. I could. Uh, again, I could do a whole, uh, a whole separate discussion on this one for sure. Um, you know, we we when it comes to. Um, uh, specifically that 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 experience it was it was uh, first and f- foremost motivated by the wrong things right we were at the time doubling the business year over year and we're doing it in an attempt to kind of triple right kind of wanting more i think that was probably our ego getting in the way um, so i think it was motivated by something that didn't need to to exist some fast-growing peers and saying why, why aren't we doing that um and then beyond that i think we also you know in terms of what we probably failed to do during that process was trusting our gut right there were several moments in it we said this doesn't feel right but you know it's a it's a world-class branding firm and uh and and we should kind of fall in line i think several times we kind of ignored our gut in that way and so i'd, I'd encourage others when you're going through similar processes to really just trust your gut because i think mm-hmm. that's where this whole thing becomes quite beautiful
1: got it and um on the flip side i i want to talk to you about flying successes or had there other moments in your memory that you felt at the top of the world that you said wow like a pinch me moment that felt really good as you know in your personal life or you know with the company
0: sorry can you say the question one more time i'm not sure i totally followed it
1: like like we talked about low moments in in the company but can you talk about high moments that you felt really proud of high
0: moments yeah no without a doubt i mean i think uh Oh, There's so many, um, you know, every year we do this retreat um, called fall hands. It's our all hands retreat where we bring in all of our remote team members, all of our store managers, everybody comes together here in Boston for uh, a, a day and a half long kind of just all in retreat where we go through a ton of great content and, uh, and also a big celebration. And I think that, you know, and, and it, and it's, it's not surprising that my gut reaction to your question was about people. Um but I think those are that's my high moment every year is is getting to kind of stand there with that group of people and and share such a deep passion for what we're doing is, is certainly an annual high moment. And then, of course, in between every single time a prototype arrives to the office and everybody huddles around so we can open the box together and see the next version of the product that we're excited about. Um, and that happens twice a week. Uh, those are the, the highest moments of the week. We get to see this product that we really believe in come to life.
1: Yeah, and there's probably months of work and tweaking and twisting things and, 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 and changing. So that's probably great to have two dopamine hits once, uh, twice a week, right? <laughs> that's <Dude>. exactly right. <laughs> um, awesome. I, I I also want to talk about the future. Um, can you give us a peek under the hood of what's things in the pipeline that you're excited about? Is it different uh, textiles? Is it different products? Is it, t- is it a you know, something that you're excited to share. Could you give us a, a sneak preview?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll give you one kind of, a, maybe one more emotional and one more rational uh, teasers, but the, the two kind of exciting things that I can think of coming up on on an emotional level. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've long been discussing sustainability in terms of, you know, three years ago, we launched 3D print knit uh, technology, which was our kind of hacked way of, of reducing waste in the supply chain. Um, have sent over three or 4,000 pieces out through our one-in-one-out program, effectively repurposing old clothing from your closet to uh, refugees and seekers from other countries who come to the U.S. and are interviewing for jobs um, in an attempt, of course, to help them and also to, to reduce our, our footprint. Um, but we have some major news, that I, I'll leave that there There's Really exciting news coming out on, on, on the sustainability front in, in terms of a huge leap forward there um, in the coming days and weeks. Uh, and then, on on kind of a more rational or technical level, um, we had an article released uh, a little while ago about active textile tailoring, this idea of kind of changing clothing or clothing changing shape after it's been produced. Um, and you'll start to see that really come to market in a really big and exciting way in the coming weeks as well.
1: Can you explain a little bit more how that works, the active textile to lay laymen who are listening like me?
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. effectively, what what I'm discussing there, um, is, is the end or, or perhaps the midpoint of a long relationship we've had with MIT in, uh, in, in this incredibly beautiful patented process to create materials that actually change shape based upon ex- certain external uh, inputs. So whether that be heat or moisture, um, you know the example piece that we produced in that article that I referred to um, was the idea of taking a frumpy sweater that we had used our 3D printed machine to actually produce. And then using effectively a heat gun to tailor it to a mannequin. So we were tightening it up in certain places so that it oh, fit wow. better. Um, and doing that live on a mannequin as opposed to kind of attempting to guess on fit, uh, which was just a, a, a tremendous and fun opportunity.
1: Yeah, and you can really, really dial it in. So people who are all shapes and sizes can get the perfect fit and you maybe not even have to go to a tailor. You just need, um, you know, something with heat, like uh, your hairdryer. That's hair, right. hair dryer. <laughs> That's
0: exactly right. Uh, And and on that note, we are also launching, speaking of heat, our second generation of our heated jacket uh, in just a few weeks as well. So a lot of fun stuff in the pipeline.
1: That's awesome. That is so cool. Well, check those out if you're listening. Um, Keep your eyes peeled for those products. I'm sure they'll be very, very beneficial. Look, that active textile sounds really neat um i want to transition to the last part of our, our interview on and this is our rapid fire question so these are questions we've asked to um, all our guests and we've got some very very interesting um answers so i'd love to start off with um is there a item or product hundred dollars or less that you've bought recently that has dramatically improved your life
0: that's a great question yeah you know what i i bought a um a, a water bottle from a company called mir um who's quite a thoughtful company themselves um, in terms of their kind of global impact and uh, i will say on a very light note maybe as a friendly reminder to all your listeners stay hydrated it's been awesome it's been a, uh, a a fun game changer when it comes to a simple task like staying hydrated
1: what what is so special about it that you like
0: yeah well, two, well one on on a, on a tactical level it's just a great water bottle but uh, the company itself if you get a chance to check them out they're they're pretty great. We've just started getting to know them recently, but um they spend quite a bit of time, uh, you know, thinking about how, could, how they can bring, uh, you know, uh, clean solutions to those around us. So they've got this, you know, I think it's like 50 or 60 active pro- projects that they're constantly working on in the areas of clean water, um, w- wilderness, uh, and, and uh, they've got a few more kind of missions. They're kind of focused on but you as a customer get to participate in the actual kind of donation process so it seems as simple as buying a really beautiful water bottle but they've got this um just beautiful backbone behind it too
1: <laughs> awesome we'll check it out and we'll definitely link it into our show notes so everyone who's listening can can stay hydrated with the new technology <laughs> that's right um cool my second question for you Amon, is is there a south asian person that you look up to who would you say that person is and why
0: Yeah, I mean, I probably say my mom. I know that's kind of maybe a lame answer for you, but um, yeah, she's been someone that's always been special to me growing up, and I think someone who's just set an incredibly high bar, but but without ever saying so. um, In terms of coming from India, um, with as she reminds me, eight dollars in her pocket. I think uh, every auntie I've run into (laughs) has the same story, although although the dollar value changes slightly. Exactly.
1: Exactly, um,
0: And I'm sure they're all true. I have no reason to believe that they're not, but this, um, just super interesting kind of, uh, journey she's taken to, to give me the life that I have is something that I'm just eternally grateful for.
1: Are there any traits that she has or things that she does that you try to emulate?
0: Uh, yes. Uh, there are several. I was laughing cause she's, she's very quirky. Um, and, and, uh, and, and has quite a few traits. i like, so not short on personality. Um, but but she tends to take things pretty lightly, which I appreciate. I think that's, that's something awesome. that we could all strive.
1: You always need people like that, right? When people are kind and driven, you need someone that's also a, a good person to be around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, light. I
0: think that, that, that fits the bill.
1: Cool. My next question for you is: Is there a movie or book that has had the most impact on you?
0: Yeah, you know, I, as as you know, someone who's new to to entrepreneurialism and and trying to understand what makes a great company we tend to do a book club here where we focus on writers that have proven something we think over time. So we always talk about kind of timeless truths, right? Not just um, quick hit wins, right? Not just fast to rise, fast to fall, but, you know, we read the bios of Lula Lemon and Patagonia, for example, who have been around for a while. Um, and that way we really enjoyed the book, Good to Great. I um, thought it was fantastic to see what makes a company great over time. Uh, and what really creates those timeless truths has been a fun study for us.
1: What is something from good to great that really stuck with you?
0: Yeah, they've got this concept in there called the flywheel, which I love. Um, And really what it comes down to is just effectively hitting the flywheel over and over and saying, stick to your gun, stick to that mission, stick to that why statement, uh, and it will pay off.
1: Yeah, and like kind of what you talked about earlier of like when you went through that tough rebranding, you realized like, hey, we were growing double digits. Let's stick to our guns. It was working. Let's make that flywheel just rotate faster um so yeah that's exactly right yeah that's really cool that's really cool um second to last question is if you had to give an up-and-coming south asian person who's listening to south asian stories right now who's wanting to get into entrepreneurship what advice would you have for them
0: oh, that's such a good question um call me let's <laughs> let's let's get let's get on the phone and talk about it and see if i can be helpful though well, i think the best thing we can do is probably all, you know, within the entrepreneurial community and, uh, and certainly micro communities within them, um, like the South Asian community, which has been incredibly supportive uh, to me. I think just kind of getting on the phone with people, understanding it, talking it out, you know, and taking those small steps to making a, a big vision come to life.
1: That's awesome. And one, thing, one of the things that you said earlier that I loved is trusting your gut um and a lot of people who struggle with that because of the externalities around us that make them do one thing or another you know sometimes your gut is telling you the right thing and making sure you trust that thing what you said is super important
0: yeah absolutely i think that's that's right and 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 trust people who tell you to trust your gut
1: yeah right right they're usually pointing you on the right path um, That's right. Ahmad, this has been awesome, man. My my note page is chock full of all these great things that we that we talked about. Thank you for this. Um, any final asks for the audience? Anything you'd like to leave them with before we close?
0: No, I think I'm I'm excited to hear. Um feel free to put to post my email address up. Uh and if anyone wants to get in touch, I'm I'm happy to. I'm probably easier to get on email jokes aside than I am on the phone. Um, but happy to help if I can be.
1: Okay, awesome. We'll definitely link that. But thank you again for being on South Asian Stories. And we cannot wait to see all the great stuff that Ministry of Supplies comes out with. I know I'm a big fan.
0: I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Hey guys, it's Samir again. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories on South Asians around the world please check out South Asian stories podcast.com and subscribe to our email list. That's South Asian stories podcast.com. Thanks a lot. And see you next time.